Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank, and we are back with a brand new season. You guys, you guys are great. You're always sending us the best ideas for shows. You sent us some amazing ideas for a call out that I did in the last episode. You know, when I said we were looking for stories to go with the one about the woman who grew extra nipples when she was pregnant. You sent us so many good things. So we're going to be putting that show together soon. We also get lots of requests from you to talk about topics that are on your mind. One of the big ones is you want to hear what it's like to parent when you've lost a parent. We've done stories like this a couple times before. I'm in episodes eight and 95. A few months ago, we got an email from the actress and comedian Casey Wilson. She recently became a parent and she said that she really wanted to come on the show and talk about being a mom who's lost her mom. Anyone want another crescent roll? Phil, crescent roll. That's Casey on Saturday Night Live back in 2008 in a sketch about a passive-aggressive family at Christmas dinner. Okay. 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 Casey is so much fun to watch on screen. She's got just like a huge range. She can be simmering with rage at a family meal on SNL. So no. No. And then be optimistically dating a new guy each week as Penny on the ABC show Happy Endings. I cannot wait for you guys to meet Toby. Oh my God, we are into all the same things. The home shopping network, baby animals on the internet. He even thinks it's cool that I needlepoint. I gotta tell you, it sounds like you're dating my grandma. Casey did some great physical comedy on Happy Endings, also on NBC's Marry Me. I I cannot get enough of this lady dancing. These days, Casey's on One Mississippi. That's that new Tig Notaro show on Amazon. Casey plays Tig's kind of selfish girlfriend who's into new agey wellness. Have you guys talked to a grief counselor? Because I actually have a friend in LA who's a death doula. Before Casey even got any of these acting gigs, though, her mom, Kathy, died. So Kathy never got to see Casey on TV, and she never got to meet Casey's son, Max. He's a little toddler, about a year and a half old. Today's story is about absent parents and how they sometimes continue to parent you even after they're gone.
Casey says she remembers having lots of big feelings as a child. And she wasn't the kind of kid who held in those feelings, which she says must have been a lot for her mom. I mean, I mean, she she knows it was a lot just based on the parenting books lying around. There was one she saw called Raising Your Spirited Child. The pages were all dog-eared. Do you have any good examples of being a spirited child? Well, I, this sounds so Pollyanna, but my dad found these curtains in our attic, like red velvet theater curtains, <laughs> like from past owners. And so he built me this stage in the backyard, and we lived in a suburb of Washington, D.C. And so I kind of wrangled the neighborhood kids to put on a production that I wrote called Cats, the sequel. <laughs> And uh, rights pending. <laughs> and I would got, got all the neighborhood kids, and then I employed one of their mothers to make the costumes, and I took it so seriously. And one little girl across the street, uh, Megan, she didn't learn her lines, and I just said to my mom, she's done. You know, we must fire her. I was crying. I was so angry that she'd betrayed me in this way. And so my mom's like, please give her some part. This is – you can't just fire her. You know, we were seven. So my mom walked me over there and I just explained, you know, you will be being replaced by myself. And I took the lead role and I made Megan a telephone where she had to crouch on the front of the stage in a telephone position and I would lift her arm as my receiver. And she had to stay there the whole play because the telephone's in your house the whole time. It doesn't just go away. Did you did you and your mom have any like mother daughter traditions when you were a kid or like what, what did you like to do together? We did. My mom kind of, well, everyone nicknamed her Kathy. I'll do anything for my daughter, Wilson. (laughs) We were in high school, which was embarrassing. And my mom was just, her mom wasn't as involved. So I think as we do, you swing really hard in the other direction as a parent. So she was like, I'm at every game. I'm at everything. And she used to do this thing that she coined (laughs) girlfriends. We would play girlfriends, which meant that she would pick myself and my girlfriends up from school We'd roll down the windows. We'd listen to the Mermaids soundtrack at full blast. It's that song for mermaids. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a – if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. So for my personal point of view, get an ugly girl to marry you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was just a horrible, horribly unfeminist song that we just loved the beat. So all my friends would sing and then we'd go to 7-Eleven and she'd be like, get anything. And it was so freeing. And my mom would always roll up in the – craziest outfits like crazy like she would rock a purple speedo one piece bathing suit with like a fur coat and Birkenstocks just like here I am (laughs) everyone was like ah just for these special events or always no oh no this was just her because she gardened a lot but then sometimes if she'd get cold she'd like throw a fur coat over so it was always like a (laughs) bit of a wild scene her fashion but she was a gorgeous woman so she kind of pulled it off but it was wild and Girlfriends would end with us, like, going home, and my mom would always, like, on a sugar low, like, crawl onto the couch and just, like, fall asleep. And I would always be, like, tiptoeing my friends out. They're like, is your mom asleep? I was like, yeah. <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> so, so was your mom um, working when you were growing up? Yes, she was. When I was born, my mom was the uh, president of this group called the National Women's Political Caucus, which kind of strove to get women elected, and she kind of was a— uh, along with a, a group of women, Bella Abzug, and kind of f- famous feminists in a way of the time trying to champion the Equal Rights Amendment. And so I, I went with her to 48 states in the first three years of my life while she would give speeches. And, and it was really kind of nonpartisan, just trying to get women elected on either side. 
my mom was a, a pretty ardent liberal and Democrat and my dad was a big Republican. But so she was doing that for kind of when I was very little. And then when she resigned after eight years of running the caucus, she kind of her life just kind of took a huge turn. She kind of became very depressed in terms of the fact that her kind of career in politics had kind of come to a close in a way. And then she stayed home for a few years and then totally reinvented herself using her degree in early childhood and became the director of a preschool in our town for the next 20 years. Wow. So so you said that your mom was a very strong Democrat and your father was a Republican. What was that like? It was interesting. You know, it was kind of like, I guess, James Carville and Mary Matlin. And they were both incredibly strong personalities. You know, in our house, there was just it really wasn't anything. I don't even think of it as like any like abusive household. It was just people would scream things just to say them to each other. And I took I thought this was totally normal. Like if someone threw a chair, I was like, cool. Anyway, there were chairs thrown. Oh, yeah. Anything. You know, my mom was Italian and I don't know. It just was like over the top outsized behavior is merely a mechanism of expressing your emotions. Nothing more. And I don't know. So so my dad was a political consultant and he still is. And so he makes those horrible commercials, you know, that are like John, you know, John Mitchell (laughs) is a horrible human. And so my mom and dad were kind of at odds big time. Although my dad is incredibly socially liberal, which I think is his saving grace as a human. <laughs> so so are you saying that their um, political arguments would get like that raucous, that they would be like yelling and throwing chairs? Or was the no. anger a separate thing? The anger was sort of a separate thing that permeated every aspect. So I'm sure it bled over into politics. But anger was just a very acceptable form of behavior and kind of way of just acceptable emotion, which I meet so many people where, and I'm not saying it's good. I, I've struggled with it so much, but I never thought it was bad. And I remember from a really early age, my dad even saying to me after he would just like, I don't know, you know, he would just have an explosion of anger. He'd just be like, men have anger. And kind of like staring out the window. And I kind of grew up feeling like, oh, so do women. Casey says this explosive rage that her parents had, she's got it too. When she gets mad about something, she could just snap. I I remember screaming at a friend, a dear friend on the boardwalk of Rehoboth Beach. I don't even know about what. It started about one thing and I was screaming at her and then taking on her husband. I mean, just the most unappealing, unacceptable behavior you can ever imagine. And my dad was there. He was literally like pulling me away. Like you would pull someone who was physically fighting someone. Just would go into these white rages. And I mean, I I don't think I deserve to be locked up, but something would hit me as uh, devastate me. And I would just take all my jewelry and just like smash it off of a table or I'd take my cell phones and throw them against the wall or throw them out of a car if I was speeding down the highway. I remember doing that like a couple times. It was always my phone that got the brunt of it. You you famously love the reality series, The Real Housewives. Um, (laughs) And you you co-host a podcast with Danielle Schneider that is all about The Real Housewives. It's called Bitch Sesh. Um, And I I love trashy reality TV. And I'm embarrassed to admit to you that I've never seen a single episode. So can you you sum up for me what it is? Yes. No, you should not be embarrassed. You should feel a sense of personal dignity. (laughs) For that fact, and I am embarrassed, but I've kind of given way to it. But these shows are essentially, if anyone hasn't seen them, like they profile different cities and different horrible women in in each city that are friends. And you're just watching six to eight women, generally in their like 40s to 
honestly, like late 60s, early 70s, screaming at each other and just behaving so badly. They make me feel comforted, which my husband can't understand because the way I hit the pillow at night, I like to just listen to women screaming to each other. And I feel like I can finally rest. (laughs) And there's something about it I find so comforting. And I wonder about that because because you've even acted in the Hot Wives of Orlando, yes. this parody of the Real Housewives, and um, your your obsession with this genre it runs deep. And and you were just talking <laughs> about how it's comforting to you, so I can't help but wonder if there's anything about any of the women on these shows that reminds you of your own mom or your own family. I'm really laughing right now because I've genuinely never made this connection, and it probably was the most obvious question for you. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, let's see. <laughs> it's I'm really learning a lot right now. Uh, yes, I think, you know, obviously there were times when I would be really embarrassed by my family and how kind of outsized they were and and occasionally like a few friends along the way would get a glimpse of like my mom's anger, and it was so embarrassing to me. And so much so that my brother and I, while I've just shared all of the anger that I have, our primary goal for ourselves 98% of the time is keeping a lid on it and just appearing as though we couldn't be more normal. And and so the housewives, there's something I just admire and love and feel so comfortable with just these women living out loud. They don't give a fuck. <laughs> Tell me about how your family dynamic shaped your sense of humor. Well, well— I think there was my mom is inherently a very funny person and she she really reminds me of that woman um in Steel Magnolias I think Olympia Dukakis plays her where she's like if you can't say something nice come sit by me <laughs> and that was my mom to a T where she had this kind of acerbic nasty sense of humor that was also incredibly inclusive and warm so it kind of she held both things in mind, which I do think I have in common, whereas like I'm a, can be kind of a nasty, nasty, but I can, I also, I think have great empathy for people. And I just always found that combination hilarious. Coming up, Casey realizes there's a way that she doesn't want to be like her mom. Stay with us. Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. We're back with actress and comedian Casey Wilson. Casey's mom died about 10 years ago when Casey was 25. Or at least she thinks she was 25. I think I was 25, Hillary. I know it sounds strange. I don't know the year that she died. And I've had dark laughs about this with certain friends. But it was so shocking. I really made no note of what year and and what years followed. It's such a blur to me, the time of life, that I'm like, was I 23? Was I 24? Was I 25? It's such a weird time that I've almost rejected committing it to memory. How did she die? She had a heart attack in her sleep. Wow. So it was sudden. Yeah. Very sudden. Had she been sick? No, uh, she hadn't. And she was in Rehoboth Beach, this uh, beach town that my family used to go to every year. And my brother and I were going to meet her there the next day. And I was—I had just moved to L.A. I'd been here a week. And— um. 
I was going to get on the airplane the next day and go and meet her and my dad and then um, found out in the morning when we woke up. Casey's roommate came to her with the phone, said, your dad's on the line. Casey just knew something must be wrong. She says she actually had this weird feeling the night before. Casey was not a good sleeper, and she used to take Ambien to help with her insomnia. But the night that her mom died, Casey was reaching for the Ambien. And then I just had this feeling of like, don't take one. I don't need it, which is I don't need it is not a feeling I'd ever had at that age. I was like, I need everything. I'm, I need to sleep. I need to eat more. I need everything more, more, more. And it was the only time in my life and to that day that I've ever felt that sense of like, I don't need to turn on the TV. I don't need to read. I don't need to push away emotions. And I had this image of a hot air balloon traveling across the sky, kind of up into heaven. That was so profound at the time, I thought, I don't even know if I know what this is. That was at three in the morning, which Casey later found out is the same time that her mom passed away. And I've tried to kind of, I was so stunned by that. That was just in my head so much in the first weeks. And I think when someone dies right away, especially suddenly we're searching for signs, you know, I have friends, we laugh, like our moms are all different creatures. Like my mom's a yellow butterfly. And some people say, my mom's a honeymoon bird. My mom's a winged, you know, grasshopper. My mom's a cricket. So that's relatively young to lose your mom. How did you process it? Oh, man. Um, Well, I just moved to L.A. and I had been in analysis in New York, (laughs) uh, kind of like Freudian therapy for a few years. But I decided I was going to, you know, find a new therapist in L.A. if I could afford it. And I had kind of, you know, moved out to L.A. under this auspice of I'm starting a new life and immediately had to keep my therapist because – I mean, Freudian therapy is all about the mother anyway, but I was just like so bereft. I couldn't even imagine starting with someone else. But yeah, it's interesting what happened. You know, right after my mom died, I like strangely dyed my hair dark brown to look like hers, which was very creepy for everyone who knew me. (laughs) What color had it been previously? Bright blonde. (laughs) And everyone's like, oh, oh, okay. Um, Is brown your natural color? No. My normal color is like light brown. I'm the only person in L.A. who dyes their hair darker than it is. <laughs> but I I started doing a lot of like creepy things like that. I also slept in my closet for a while on a mattress I found in the garage, <laughs> surrounded by totems and tokens of my mom and like photos, like a mausoleum. <laughs> wow. Which really creeped everyone out. That is intense. I know. I, I, none of this is great to report. Stuff was dark for a while, but Casey's a comedian, so – She also sees humor in the dark stuff, like that time at her mom's funeral. At my mom's funeral, this woman comes rushing up to me fervently, and I thought, this must be one of my mom's dear friends. You know, she seems like she has something so important to tell me. And she grabbed my shoulders and she said, excuse me, I did your mother's makeup for the open casket. Where did she get her eye lift done? (laughs) I was just laughed so hard. I said, you know what? I will get you the number. And I thought my mom would love that she'd be it was her final compliment. You know, your your career was really just starting to take off when your mom died. What's it been like to navigate the ups and downs of fame without having her around? You know, to be honest, it's been a bummer because I'm not someone sitting here so celebratory of myself. I, I'm really not. I can appreciate what's happened and I'm grateful and I'm like, wow, that's really cool. But I'm not sitting here. You know, I'm not my biggest cheerleader and I'm 
I'm only getting emotional because there is something I think about a mother that is your cheerleader. And I think when my mom died, I sort of felt so acutely like my my personal cheerleader on the sidelines of my life is gone. And I'm just so aware with career stuff how much more it would have meant to my mom than to me. You know, my mom and I used to watch Saturday Night Live and we loved Molly Shannon and, you know, Madeline Kahn. And we loved watching Funny Women. That was just our favorite pastime. And so then to be doing it is so surreal and just it's mainly just a bummer. Because she died before you got on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She died before anything. I mean, one of my last conversations with her hilariously was, well, to say that I was not successful before my mom died. One time I was talking to her on the phone and I'm like, I need to borrow money. I know, you know, I'm like smoking a cigarette on a balcony, like no money. And I'm like, I know I keep borrowing money, but I'm just afraid my phone's going to. And then my phone was shut off. (laughs) (laughs) So that was like a classic. That's kind of where I was at emotionally. But the last time I talked to her, I had gotten an audition for my first movie audition was for this Christopher Guest movie called For Your Consideration. And my mom and I were obsessed with Christopher Guest, obsessed with him. And so I called her to tell her, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're not going to believe it. I got an audition to play this part. She was so excited for me. She's like, "He's. I really think he's going to like you. And... And then it was weird because she, then we kind of, the conversation turned and she said, it's really weird. I'm really tired and I have a headache. And that's truly the last time I spoke to her and she died that night. So then, of course, after she passed away, I didn't even think of this audition. I went home for three months. The audition, I assumed, obviously came and went. I heard that they shot the movie. A year later, I'm back in L.A. and I get a call from my manager. And she said, they're doing reshoots and there's one last part they're auditioning for of a young actress. And they want to see you. I went to the audition and I did it, and I sat in my car in the parking lot after. I don't even know why I'm crying now, but I cried so hard in the car. I thought I, I said I've let my mom down. I did terribly. And I went back to my day job, and I'm sitting there, and I just was so upset. And then I got a call, and they said you got the part. And I, I really felt like that was my mom. And it's not about success or getting a part. It was just like, wow, there was. I still got that part a year later. Weirdly. So I don't know. I believe in this stuff, Hillary. <laughs> I think wow. every, is everyone like, oh, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you ever still kind of communicate with her in your head? I do. I do. You know, when my mom died at whatever age I was, I <laughs> I went on, you know, as the years passed, I saw the relationships of my friends and their moms really change. Those girls that call their mom five times a day for like, what should I wear to this? Like, oh, my mom's going to handle that for me. My mom's going to do this. And I felt this like rage towards these dear friends (laughs) but it's funny somehow because I bounce kind of everything I'm doing outwardly I kind of bounce inwardly off my mom in many ways the conversation has continued so what kinds of things what kinds of things are you communicating to her about everything and I'm not I'm not sitting here talking to her praying to her consciously even or you know, setting aside time for that necessarily. I, I wish I would, but there's just, she's always a presence with me. And it's very like, what would Kathy do kind of way I approach life. And in a weird way, I feel like our relationship has changed. Really? You know, you know, when I looked at my mom's See, and I'm protective to even say this because I'm afraid I still have her in my head so strongly that like, would she be embarrassed if I said this? But when I looked at her uh, death certificate, it said 
cause of death. And I assumed it would say, you know, cardiovascular or a heart attack. I don't know what I thought it would say. And it said obesity. And my mom struggled with her weight a ton. And so when I saw that, I was so devastated. I just felt like, even though it's quote unquote, like a medical term for a woman, I just felt this is so heartbreaking that someone's life is reduced to obesity. I, I was bereft. It hurt my feelings so deeply for my mom. And I think, but I also, on, on the other hand, I, I felt like, but why couldn't you get a handle on your eating? And there was anger about like almost what I perceived to be careless treatment of herself. Casey says that over the years, she's been able to cut her mom some slack on the weight thing. A lot of it has to do with the way she was let go from Saturday Night Live. So Casey started at SNL just nine months after her mom died. She was still pretty messed up over it. And she went on antidepressants to help make her feel like she was up for performing in her dream job. The antidepressant made me gain a lot of weight. And when I uh, was an ass back after like a season and a half, it kind of came out, uh, I think it I can't remember actually what publication it was, but someone printed that I had been fired for being overweight. And I was kind of relieved when I would found out I wasn't coming back. But then when that kind of twist was added to it, I was so – it really touched off something in me again, kind of like when I read my mom's uh, death certificate. And then Saturday Night Live called my agent and said I needed to – make an announcement that that's not why I was fired. So I was in the strange position of having to say like, oh, everyone, I wasn't fired for being fat. I was fired because they didn't find me funny. (laughs) (laughs) The worst position of all time. And I felt so kind of misunderstood. And like, I I hate when actresses are like, you know, they're very like, oh, I just breastfed and I lost the weight or like, I don't even think about my weight or whatever. And I don't hate it. I get it. But I... I want to be the person that's like, I celebrate my curves, but to a point, like that hurt me so deeply, that experience that to kind of dig my way out of it, I felt like I'm going to lose this weight, not because I want people to like me, but because it's actually self-protective of me to lose this weight and kind of be able to put myself out there in a way that I'm proud of. And I've never been, you know, the tiniest person and never will be, but It was kind of like I really felt like my mom was almost telling me that and not from a place of like, ah, I need to lose weight because people are saying I'm I'm overweight. It really was just like, no, I want to feel good and I don't want to be in this position again. In a minute, Casey becomes a mom and tries to hire a mom to replace her mom. Don't go away. Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. We're back with Casey Wilson. Over the last decade since her mom died, Casey's figured out a way to incorporate her grief into her life, you know, in in a way that does not involve sleeping in her closet surrounded by totems. A couple years ago, Casey got married 
And while she wished her mom could have been at the wedding, she didn't get too worked up about missing her. Maybe because Casey's mom wasn't really into planning crap like that. So I didn't miss her as kind of keenly as I did when I had a son. Casey says having a kid, now that really stirred things up for her about her mom. You know, her mom had a degree in early childhood. She ran a daycare. She was great with kids. You know, she was this cool feminist badass, and she was super available to her family. And Casey, you know, like all parents, can feel so lost sometimes. She just wishes her mom was there to tell her what to do. When you wrote to us, you said that um, you had a lot of sadness, like postpartum sadness, and you initially thought it was postpartum depression, but then thought it had more to do with your mom than you realized. What did you mean by that? Well, I'm not someone that suffers in silence. You know, I have all these admirable friends who are like, I think I had postpartum and I suffered with it for years before I told anyone. Like the first day I was like, I need to be on something. <laughs> like I just, um, you know, very proactive in terms of making myself feel better, which is good and bad. But I did. I just felt all this sadness that I, I assumed I would be emotional and hormonal. but And I felt like a plug had just been pulled out of the wall, which I knew was normal to some degree. But the sadness was just not going away. And no matter what I tried to do, and I tried a lot of, I took a lot of big swings to try to cover it. I was lucky enough I could hire a baby nurse, for instance. A, ba- a baby nurse? Yes. I had a night nurse, I guess you would call it, okay. to kind of help me. And I rationalized it because it's so much money. I thought, well, but I don't have, you know, my mom was going to come and stay with me and take care of me and all this. But I think I really did it because I was kind of afraid to be just alone with the baby and my husband. I felt like I needed, because I didn't have my mom, I must need so much more help. So in some way, I tried first to like hire a mom, kind of. And it ended up being such a disaster that it was like, okay, that 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 doesn't work. And then I think I like was like, I'm doing it all myself. And then that was really hard and I couldn't do that. And then I thought, well, you're a failure. You can't because you can't take care of him by yourself every second and work. And it's like, it was very much like the three bears. Like, no, there's something in the middle here that doesn't mean I'm a failure. And it doesn't mean, I don't know, you know, just finding what it was, but it was so connected in large part, I think, to not having a mom and feeling like I didn't know, feeling the absence of something, but I didn't know what it was that I needed. What made the baby nurse a disaster and how was she not filling the role that you were looking for? I hired this woman. I'd only, you know, met with her one time and I thought she's the answer to my prayers. She's so sweet. She's going to help me so much. She's going to make me feel more confident as a mom and she's going to help me. And right off the bat, comically, when we came home with the baby, I came into the nursery. We'd been home in our house for two minutes and she was hysterically crying. (laughs) And that just sort of set the tone. It was like I was caring for her the whole time. And it was just such the wrong energy. And at one point she said to me, one time I was crying with my husband. But when I tell you this was like not facing us, like we weren't yelling or anything. I would always just, I would like look at a mirror and see that I was crying and like, oh, I wasn't even aware I was crying (laughs) in that first month. And I was breastfeeding and she came in and she goes, oh, no. And I thought she was saying, oh, no, like you're crying. What can I do? She goes, oh, no, you really shouldn't breastfeed when you're this upset because you're just transferring all these negative emotions to the baby. (laughs) And these are the types of things she would say to me all the time. And I would become hysterical and so upset. Like I it's one thing I'm struggling with my sadness, but now I'm infecting my 
baby with my emotions was like so devastating for me. And at the end of the day, I just laughing that like I'm paying for this. <laughs> it's just not great. Casey says she still turns to her mom to, to ask her if she's doing a good job at being a mom. And what she tends to hear back is, just don't even ask that. You know, be, being a parent is hard enough. Questions like that don't serve you. What Casey's mom showed her when she was alive so clearly was, you can be whatever kind of mom you want to be. You know, you can wear a Speedo and a fur coat and drive to the 7-Eleven and play girlfriends if that's how you want to do it. And now it's Casey's turn to figure out how she's going to do it with her kid. And he's very curious. He says about every single thing, what this? What is this? This? <laughs> this? And I'm like, oh. And, you know, in the beginning, I'm like, it's so cute. And now I'm like, that's a book. That's the sky. That's Earth. We're on planet Earth. That's me. <laughs> and even when he wakes up now, when I go in the morning and he's just woke up, he goes, what is this? <laughs> I'm like, this is the world, buddy. <laughs> oh, I love this that. This is existence. <laughs> when Casey Wilson is not teaching her son about human existence, she's acting and being funny. You can catch her on Amazon's One Mississippi or on her podcast, Bitch Sesh. Or better yet, go see her live at the Now Hear This podcast festival in Anaheim, California. We sadly had to cancel our live show, but there are so many great acts to see. So go get your tickets at nowhearthisfest.com. Now we know from your emails that plenty of you out there have lost your parents before becoming a parent or while you were a parent, or maybe that loss is preventing you from becoming a parent. Tell us what's on your mind. Leave your comment at longestshortesttime.com on the post for this episode. That's episode 98. And as a gift to you, we have also posted some video clips of Casey Wilson dancing. You're welcome. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Abigail Keel. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Anne-Marie Baldonado and Antonia Acatunde. Production help this week from Jane Marie. Ryan Connor recorded Casey's side of the conversation. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode with a woman who, as a kid, used to be confused by her own reflection. I'd be like, hey, there's a Chinese girl there. And I'd be like, oh, wait, that's me. The great children's book author and illustrator Grace Lynn will be here talking about being the child of immigrants and her struggle to embrace her parents' culture. Do not miss this episode. Make sure you're subscribed to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Get the show early by subscribing to our newsletter. You can do that in the little box there on the homepage at longestshortesttime.com. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we are looking for your stories. You, you, my friend, you can be like Casey. You can tell us why you think your story is something people should hear. Maybe we'll even find out we have something weird in common. Like Casey and I found out we both had grandfathers with the nickname Red. Go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. What's up? This is Hannibal Burris, and I got a new podcast coming out soon on the Ill Wolf Network. It's called 
Handsome Rambler. It's going to be me talking about life on the road, sports, relationships, philosophy, books. Anything can happen on The Handsome Rambler. It's going to be an extravaganza. Check it out. The Handsome Rambler. Coming soon on the Earwolf Network. You know what it is. Stand up. You sing Earwolf? Yeah. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide.